But today we are looking at Nehemiah 8, and this is really just a great passage. And so I invite you to hear these words. I'm going to read through it a little bit quickly because it's a little bit long, as they all are. Here it goes. All the people gathered together into the square before the water gate. And they told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could hear with understanding. This was on the first day of the seventh month. He read, it, he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. The scribe Ezra stood on a wooden platform that had been made for the purpose. And beside him stood, all right, get ready, Matithia, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadanah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. Then they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Yeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. So they read from the book, from the law of God, with interpretation. They gave the sense so that people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. And he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions of them to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and rejoicing because they had understand, understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of ancestral houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to the scribe Ezra in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the people of Israel should live in booths during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should publish and proclaim in all their towns in Jerusalem as follows. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on the roofs of their houses and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in them. For from the days of Yeshua, son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the festival seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the ordinance. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, after a stormy day and night, we come together in the calm and we pray for your peace. I pray for the peace of our hearts, of our minds, Lord, as we continue to think about what's coming up in the week. May we just create some space even now to simply be still 
in your presence and to ask what you might say to us through the words of your scripture. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. So, uh, when it comes to the eighth chapter, it has been said that it is kind of a dream passage for a pastor. Uh, the, the fact that the people come in and they are basically begging and pleading uh, Ezra, the priest, to read Scripture to them. Right? They, they say, please tell us more about what the Bible has to say. Tell us. We want to hear. And so, and so they do. And, and, and so they all stand. And, they, and he reads for six hours. Someone's complaining about 35 minutes, six hours. They stood and they, were, they listened to the scripture. Men, women, and all who could understand, which probably means um, those children who were old enough to understand. They were, they were there and, and they worshiped and they, they, they yelled, amen and amen. There we go. You're picking up. There you go. And, 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 and I mean, they worshiped with all of their bodies. They were bowing down. Um, and it's clear that the scripture was saying something to them because they began to weep, right? They were taking seriously what the Bible said. And, and so then the, the Ezra, not the Ezra, but Ezra and the Levites and Nehemiah, they had to console and they had to say, yes, true, perhaps we haven't been following the scripture, but, but please also hear about all that God has done because this is in the Bible as well. Remember how much God loves you. Remember how he, how he cares for you. And so they said, okay. And, and then they go on and say, okay, we need to celebrate. Let's have a feast, go out. And so the people go out and they do it and they, they listen to what Ezra and the priest had told them. It is a dream if you are a pastor. So it makes sense to me then that people would say, well, that's a dream. Because here's the reality. Oftentimes, when it comes to scripture or to a sermon, it can get hard to really get excited about it. Just wanted to see if anyone was going to say amen there. Okay. And I don't say that to try to make anybody feel guilty about it. I think my guess is most of us at times are like, oh, you know what? We should probably really read the Bible more. Or I just feel like it's just kind of boring and I feel guilty about that. And so one of the things I want to do is start off by saying, if you feel guilty about that, don't try to hide that. You don't need to feel bad about that. I've, I've told you all before as a way of trying to give you permission that, that when I went to seminary, the summer before I went to seminary, I tried to figure out exactly how few Bible classes I could take and still graduate from seminary seminary, right? In other words, how little of the Bible can I know and still be your pastor? That was kind of my question going into it, right? And I know that never makes people, people always like, you shouldn't tell people that, but let's just be honest. And I, I get it. I get it. But, but, but of course, I also believe, and my guess is that most of you do as well, that the Bible really is important. I mean, it's pretty critical to who we are. The Bible tells us about God. It describes what God has done for us. It describes who we are. It describes what we are called to do, who we are called to be. There's much light and life and understanding that comes from, from, from the scripture. And yet, if we're honest, most of us probably wrestle 
with really thinking that it brings us much life and hope, that it, that it really helps us and makes us feel more alive in who we are as followers of Jesus. And so as I was thinking about Nehemiah this week, this was kind of the question that I was asking. How, and we probably do this about once a year, how can we help the Bible, how can the Bible help to bring us real life and not just become some drudgery or something on a to-do list or something that just kind of collects dust and every time we see it, we're like, oh man, we should probably read that thing. So, if we're wanting to know how is it that we can have the Bible give us more joy, give us more life, how can, we, how can it breathe life into us? The first thing, you got your pen ready, this is good. I always like to warn you whenever I'm going to give you something good, and here it is. If you want the Bible to become more alive, I got six hours here, so I'm going to take my time with some pregnant pauses. You have to read it. Anyone writing that down? There we go. Read it. I know, guys. This is why I get paid right here. You have to read it. This is the reality. You would be surprised at how many people think that the Bible should just all of a sudden kind of dive into their minds and they should just know what it says and that it should just bring life. At the time of Nehemiah, scholars tell us that the literacy rate was around 3%. 3% for most folks, which means, okay, it makes sense that the scripture's not alive to them because they, they haven't really heard it, and they certainly haven't read it, at least the vast majority of them. And, and, and so, of course, then, it's not going to bring much life to them because they don't know what it actually says. Now, I don't think that our literacy rate here is 3%. My guess is it's probably around 99.9%. But the question then is, what is our scriptural literacy rate? Like, how much do we actually know what the Bible says? Again, when I was at seminary, um, the first year, for those who wanted to become Presbyterian pastors, they had to take what's called a Bible content exam. And so we would look over it and uh, and, and, and this is going to sound really pretentious, and I apologize for that, but I just want to say it anyways, which is that I have a feeling, when I looked over that Bible contact, I have a feeling my fifth grade daughter, Shaughnessy, could probably pass the Bible content exam. But I want you to know that I was somewhat horrified at how many of those future pastors did not know the answers to what I would say were some incredibly basic kind of Bible questions. And I say that not to mock those who failed it, but I say it to say, I think most of them, about 99% of them, as far as I know, grew up in the church. And I think the church actually failed them by not teaching them and explaining to them the scripture and the Bible. And as I've thought about that in the future, I've realized that one of the things that we have to make sure that we are doing a good job is cultivating an environment in which reading the scripture is really important. Yes, we need to do it every Sunday morning here, you know, and we need to make sure that we're really engaged in the scripture, that we're not just kind of taking one passage and then spending 35 minutes talking about my own thoughts about life or whatnot. We need to make sure that we're really delving in, but we also need to make sure that our own folks are really kind of engaging with this and in small groups and in other atmospheres and on their own. 
In fact, this very week, uh, the ministry team, uh, we're getting together to begin to explore what would it look like next fall, perhaps for the next year, maybe two years, to really kind of go through the scripture. We kind of did this a little bit a few years ago when we did the Jesus Storybook Bible, but also then to figure out what's a good plan for you all and for us too, we're not excluded, from kind of reading the scripture on our own and really trying to get through much of the Bible because we think it's really important, right? So, so the very first thing, it seems to me, and and you see the people there of Nehemiah doing it. They, they, they want to hear, they want to know, what does the Bible say? So if you want the Bible to become alive, it begins by actually reading it. Now here's the second thing, which is that if the Bible is going to become alive, and this is where I see a lot of people getting tripped up, you have to actually practice and obey what it is telling us to do. You might be surprised by how many people think that if they just read it, which is a great first step, or if they just listen to it, which is a great first step, that all of a sudden the Bible will all of a sudden give them life and breath. And they wonder after a certain amount of time why it seems so dull and boring. And they end up oftentimes kind of blaming the Bible. Oh, it's just too old. It doesn't understand. When in reality, the problem is they just never have been trying to practice what it is saying. One rabbi has said that we learn God not through our ears, but through our feet. Does that make sense? We learn God not through our ears per se, first of all, but through our feet, through actually walking the journey. Someone else has said that we read the Bible so that we can live the word of God. We read the Bible so that we can live the word of God. What does that mean? That means that we actually have to practice what it is that we are doing. Think about this in Nehemiah 8. They go and they hear the scripture read. That's great. That's wonderful. But that isn't where they stop. Because then they're told, hey, you need to remember, because it's right there in the Bible as you read it, that God calls us to be a joyful people because of what God has done. God calls us to celebrate. And so they, they told him, go and eat fatty foods. Who does not need to hear that twice? I am more than happy to eat fatty foods, right? Eat fatty foods, drink sweet wine, right? And they're like, okay. And then they also say, and as you go out, remember that there are those out there who don't have any food. So make sure that you provide for them as well, right? Why? Because it's in scripture. And so that's what they do. They go out and they do all that. And then did you notice what happens the very next day? The heads of the family, they come back again and they say, we want to know more. Tell us more. You see, I have a sneaking suspicion if they heard all these things for, for six hours, even for six hours, and if they went home and did nothing and they didn't practice it and they didn't learn what this meant through their feet, through the actual work they were doing, I have a sneaking suspicion they would not have been back the next day to say, we want more. I think that when you begin to actually practice and engage what it is that you are reading, while it will be challenging to be sure, you will begin to discover life in the midst of that. I think that's what these people from Judah, what they discovered when they actually practiced what it was that they had heard. And that makes all the difference. Julianne Green makes this great analogy. I hope you hear this. So she makes this analogy uh, with, with the manna from heaven. Do you remember the story in Exodus where they're wandering out for 40 years and they're hungry and they're like, oh, you know, we want to go back to Egypt. Life was so easy when we were slaves. And, 
And God, you know, I mean, God, God puts up with a lot of stuff. It's amazing, right? And so he's like, all right, here we go. I'm going to give you some food. Every morning, you're going to have manna. Do you remember that story? So they would wake up, and there was like this flaky stuff, and it was bread. But he also said to them, eat everything that you can, but don't try and store it for the next day. Don't try. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to take it, then actually eat it. Do something about it. Don't just kind of tuck it away. And of course, there's always a couple knuckleheads, right, who didn't do it, right? They're like, yeah, whatever. I'm just keeping this for a midnight snack, right? And they kind of tuck it away. And the next day, what happened? It was full of maggots. It was rotting and it stank. And what Juliana Green says is this is like scriptural reading. That if you read it, but you don't actually consume it, and by that she means pray over it and work it out and obey it, if you don't actually do those things, it will begin to rot inside of you. I'll be honest in saying some of the least forgiving, least graceful, least loving people I know are people who know the Bible backwards and forwards, but they have never actually practiced it. And because of that, it is rotting inside of them. That's an image. So what we are called to do is to read the scripture, but make no mistake about it. There is great danger in reading it and never actually practicing it. But the third thing that we see in this particular passage is the sense that not only do we have to read it, not only do we have to practice it. And this is something I think that we as adults really struggle with, which is that we have to do more than see the Bible as kind of simply a manual for life, I've said this before, or a rule book. Now, there are certainly things that it does that helps us with life, obviously. There are certain rule books, but what we notice, I think, is that a lot of times people just take little propositions, uh, little sayings that are in there, and we kind of cut and paste, you know, we cut them out, and then we paste them on, our, on a bumper sticker or on a sign in our house or, or on a shirt, and we think, God, got this. And the reality is, if we really want the Bible to come alive in our lives, we have to do more than just try to take the words from the page, take the story, and just apply it to our own lives in some form or fashion. That's okay to do that. But if that's all we do, it is a very thin understanding of what Scripture is. But instead, we have to take our own lives, our own stories, and we have to dive into the story of Scripture Eugene Peterson says that, that Scripture is full of stories. It is basically one big story, right? And, and, he, and here's what he goes on to say. We have this slide here, I think. He says, story doesn't just tell us something and leave it there. It invites our participation. That's what I want you to see. It invites our participation. A good storyteller gathers us into the story. We feel the emotions, get caught up in the drama, identify with the characters. We see into the nooks and crannies of life that we had overlooked, realize that there is more to this business of being human than we had yet explored. If the storyteller is good, doors and windows open. In other words, the scripture is always inviting us into its 
story. And if all we are trying to do is extract it and put it into our lives, we will be missing out on the richness of a story. Here's what I mean. Um, One of the stories, probably the story that I have told in the past, in fact, now it's been almost three years, that people most often remember is the story of when I, uh, it was when my family and I on Christmas Day drove out to Colorado. You may remember the story. It was a a Sunday when Christmas was uh, on a Sunday, uh, or it was a Christmas when it was on Sunday, and I came here to worship on that Christmas day, and, and then immediately afterwards, you know, we collected all the family. We started driving out to my brother in law's in Colorado, and on Christmas Eve night, overnight, one of my daughters got sick. And, 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 and by sick, I mean... Um, and, and, and so I just came here alone, you know. And, I, and, and, and so then by the time I got home, you know, of course, it had begun to work its way down the siblings. And I had told a couple people here at ZPC that, you know, my daughter was sick and that it may not look good for the rest of them. And they're like, oh, are you going to wait? And I was like, oh, no. The decks don't wait on Christmas Day. We drive. Right? This is what we do. Right? I felt very, uh, very, very confident in myself. Uh, uh, It was probably about, I'd say maybe about an hour and a half. Maybe we'd gotten to Terre Haute uh, when I realized why they had said what they said. Because, you see, what we had done is we had gotten two and why we only did two, I don't know, plastic bowls. I mean, they were somewhat roomy, but uh, we had given them to the children to share. And so as we kind of drove, you know, they would just kind of pass it around depending upon who was in need. Uh, and, and about every, I don't know, now you remember this, and about every 50 or 60 miles, you know, we would pull off of 70 and just kind of, you know, empty out the contents and get back in and start passing it around again. Yes, it smelled exactly as you think it smelled. And so, and so it was, you know, it was, it was less than enjoyable, especially the next day when it had been passed on to Megan. Oh my goodness, that was brutal. Uh, so now I think the reason why people remember this story is for this reason, that almost everybody, almost everybody can recall from their own life a time when they were sick and it caused major issue or, or when a child was sick or a parent or a sibling, whatever it was, or a friend was sick. Almost all of us remember what it's like to be on a road trip and you're wondering, when is this thing ever going to end? Right? Almost all of us can remember a time when we were like, we should have listened to people who were wiser than us. Man, we are regretting that. Right? In fact, so often when I tell a story, as people are leaving, one of the things that they, are, they do is like, oh, you know what that reminded me of? It reminded me of a time when this happened. You see, what, what occurred is that they were able to kind of dive into my story, right? And they, were, they played around with my story, like, yeah. And then they dove back out into their own life and was like, oh, yeah, that reminds me of this. And then they would come back in and hear a little bit more and it remind them of something. And then they jump back into their own life, right? It's like, oh, yeah, that also reminds me of that. That's what a story does. It is always inviting you to participate. Yeah, and I think we miss out on that far too often when it comes to Scripture. Remember Nehemiah. What are the things Nehemiah did? He does it this week. He did it last week, especially with Scott. He also did it in chapter 3, which is he gives this whole litany of names. You remember that? Name after name after name after name. And a part of the reason we said that he does that is so that when people in future generations look at that, they are reminded, oh, 
that was grandpa. He was working on the wall. Or, or you know what? That was my great-grandmother. She was one of the daughters who was helping to rebuild the wall. And all of a sudden, rather than being a story that is detached from their lives, all of a sudden they are in the story and they are remembering what's happening. We also see it at the end of chapter 8. Remember, it's the Festival of Booths. And you may be saying, what's the Festival of Booths? The Festival of Tabernacle? Maybe you remember. It actually just ended, I think, on Tuesday or Wednesday. Again, that was not planned. I'd love to tell you it was, but it just kind of happened because that's the way the Spirit works. And here's what it is. It's this time. It's, they're told to do this in Leviticus, to remember back at the time in the wilderness when they were going from place to place, right? And they were in these tents. So you build a tent or you build a booth. And what they were told to do and what continues to go on now even is that you would go and you would eat in that booth or you would even sleep in the tent. And it reminded you of God's faithfulness. It reminded you of how much God or you depend upon God. But they weren't just hearing about the story. They weren't just kind of, no, they dive into it. They practice the story. See, this is what we as adults don't do because we have lost our imagination. We have lost our creativity. We don't dress up for Halloween anymore. We don't, I mean, we don't play that much. We think, oh, that's for children. You know, we don't do that. And so we've lost it. Here's what we need to do. When it comes to Nehemiah, here's what I've been doing as I've been thinking through the sermons. I, think I do this most Sundays is I jump into the story. Remember, we talked about he had this great vision. So you think about, oh, yes, this great vision that he had to rebuild the wall. And then he goes and he looks at the wall and he sees that it's all crumbled. And you had to be thinking, right? I mean, if you're Nehemiah, you had to be thinking, oh, man, I wonder if the cupbearer position has been filled back in Susa. Right? You're thinking, I wonder if I can go back. You know, and I, I, you kind of dive into the story and you think, what would I be thinking? And you know what happens when I think that, when Jerry thinks that, I'm reminded of when, uh, when I went to San Diego and then that job went belly up. And one of the questions I kept wondering was, ah, I wonder if the job in Chicago has been filled yet. Maybe I can go back and be the pastor there. And, and, and so then, I, and then I'm back here and I'm remembering that. And then I'm remembering, you know what? In those moments, I felt like God had a abandoned me. And so then I'm like, I wonder if Nehemiah feels like God abandoned him. And so then you dive back into the story and you wonder, hey, Nehemiah, I mean, this is what you do if you're a kid. Hey, Nehemiah, you know what? I mean, do you feel abandoned? You don't know. And you just kind of wrestle with that. It doesn't really say one way or the other, but you just kind of chit chat with Nehemiah. Do this in privacy. Otherwise it's weird, but do it anyways, right? You play and you imagine, and then you realize what did Nehemiah do? He wrestled with it. And then do you know what he did? He kept moving forward. And so then when I think about that in my own life, when I was in San Diego, I realized, oh, wait, well, there's Nehemiah. You know what Nehemiah did? He kept moving forward. I mean, there were enemies. There were all sorts of things. But you bring it back into your own life. And then you dive back over here into the story. And then you come back. This is how you read Scripture. You don't just take a little bit over here and say, well, I wonder what that has to do with my life. No, no. You dive in. You play with it. You get imaginative with it. You get creative with it. Because here's what happens. As soon as you begin to do that, when you get inside of the story, the story will get inside of you. And when you begin to see obstacles and you are reminded, that reminds me of the wall. That reminds me of Sanballat. I have an enemy. I have conflict. That reminds me of Sanballat. And you begin to remember this story. And the scripture then begins to shape 
you into a different person. And when that happens, when you begin to gnaw on Scripture, Peterson says, like a dog gnaws on a bone, then it begins to come alive in your life. But I think that far too many Christians just see this thing as some little to-do list, some little manual to help you. And because of that, we miss out on the richness of what it means to follow God. Let me close with this one story. I've been thinking a lot about stories this week because of this. And it's a story I've told, but it's perhaps my favorite story in my time here, which is the story of the ZPCer who won't let me say what their names are, even though I really want to. And it was a family of six, which doesn't narrow it down in our area. And, 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 and they, would, they decided to go to Amelia Island, I think it was, someplace around the beach. And so they made that, you know, this was a little while ago, so I don't know. Maybe they were using the internet. Maybe they weren't. I don't know. But they said, okay, this should be enough space where we're staying. It's like a little condo. It should be good. And they get there, and they open the door, and they look, and they realize that it's like a little kitchenette and like two queen beds. And they're like, oh. And... Much like in some hotel rooms, the separation between them and the next apartment was just a door, right? Which meant, of course, that you had to always make sure that your child was super quiet, you know, and you have four kids. You know, that's not very easy, you know. They get loud. He's like, shh. So, so they hardly ever stayed there. It wasn't very relaxing. For several days they were there, and it was just like, oh, and they were always having to go out and, 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 and then come back in and try to keep everybody quiet. The sleeping quarters, it wasn't that very nice, obviously. You just got two queen beds and just a little kitchen that you could hardly cook anything. And so they'd been there, I think, about four or five days. They just had another day or two left, and they come back from being someplace because, again, they had to always be someplace, and one of their little kids goes running off, as little kids do, and kind of runs around the building, like, hey, where are you going? And all of a sudden, the kid says, hey, how come the number on this door is the same as the number of the door that we're staying in? And they think, well, what are you talking about? It doesn't make any sense. So they go around, and sure enough, well, whatever. So they take their key, and it unlocks the door. And they open it up, and sure enough, there's the whole kitchen. There's the living room with the big sofa. There all of a sudden is all of this space that they thought they had. And then they look over, and they see that little door. The door that they had tried to be so quiet around because they thought the people in the other apartment, which was supposed to be them, were going to be annoyed. And they realized that they had spent five days living in this small, cramped space, hardly experiencing the whole place they could if they would have but merely opened that little door. They would have all of a sudden seen the expansive place in which they were supposed to spend the whole week. What a story! Here's what I think. I want to suggest that most followers of Jesus are living in this little cramped, 
condo with a kitchenette and two little queen beds and tons of kids all around you. And we have grown complacent or content to just say, this must be what faith is. This must be what it looks like to follow Jesus. But if we would be willing to open up the scripture, if we would be willing to open up that door, that we would begin to see a whole nother world, a place where faith can be rich, a place where we can understand what it means to follow Jesus and to work, a place where we can see what God has called us to do, a place where we can be reminded again and again of God's abundant love. And yet most of us are too content, too complacent, too afraid, too bored to ever try and push that door open. And so I want to encourage you to know that Scripture is an entrance into a whole different world that you may never have experienced. And if you would but open up its pages, if you would begin to read, if you would begin to practice, and if you would begin to creatively imagine what is life like as you dive into these stories, you might begin to experience the Lord in ways you never would have. Had you been content to just stay in your little kitchenette and think that that's all there was to following Jesus. May we be a people, sisters and brothers, who open up that door. And in so doing, might we experience the robustness of God's kingdom. Amen? Let's pray. God, we do give you praise for this day, for this opportunity to gather together as sisters and brothers. Help us to see the scripture, Lord, not as something on a to-do list, not as in just a manual for life, but as a doorway into your kingdom, as an adventure into what it means to follow you. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's stand together.